Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Prince. And I'm Serena Chen. This episode, we're going to talk about 2017. What were the highs? What were the lows? How much worse is the world than it was before 2017? <laughs> Has anything good actually happened? Both in our personal lives and talking more generally about the world at large. And so I think a really good place to start is, Serena, what was your highlight of 2017? That is a hard question. Personally or like in general? Whatever comes to mind first. I guess the biggest thing that happened this year, for me at least, was moving house. It was uh, the cause of a lot of stress, but eventually, like, yeah, it was quite quite good in the end. <laughs> it's a very mundane highlight. A very, like, mid to late 20s, hi, I am becoming a real adult highlight. My highlight was, this year I moved house. <laughs> How about you? Probably getting a job. So I don't start my full-time job until March of 2018, but it was confirmed in about April of 2017. Nice. So, like, that was the huge, like, just weight off my shoulders, good thing that happened. Mm. And, like, again, like, such a mid-20s answer, right? It's like, yeah, cool, I got a job. That's that's awesome. (laughs) I think sort of more generally, the New Zealand election. Oh, yes. God, it felt like ages ago. I know, but still... Less than a year ago. And it's something that happened quite close to um, the end of 2017 as well, really. That was a huge thing. That was an interesting election. Mm. (laughs) Like, some wild stuff happened. But I think, like, the outcome is a very caring government. Yeah. Who is doing things like creating new refugee visas for people who are refugees from climate change. Mm. Extended parental leave, which is very good. I'm kind of glad it wasn't as ridiculous as uh, 2014 though that was a wild year in New Zealand elections (laughs) yeah I mean like I think our elections will probably get more bizarre as the sort of like interplay between the internet and the theoretically limitless access to information we have comes up against not necessarily misinformation but spin more than anything. Well, I think certainly we can look at the American elections and go like, no, there were just some straight up lies being told in these ones. In New Zealand, I think we're much more susceptible to spin and not necessarily recognizing where that spin, when that spin is occurring in the news we're engaging with. Hmm. I I call myself a New Zealand centrist, which means I'm very left wing in every other country, and <laughs> that I'm not totally. Ah, uh, it's very risky saying this on the podcast. I'm not totally opposed to a national government. Like, Mm. I think it's important to recognise things like that National did one of the few... I think they raised the unemployment benefit beyond inflation for the first time in 50 years. Certainly you can, you know, look at that and if you're a hardline sort of Labour or Green supporter, you can then say, yeah, well, you know, they made it much more difficult to get the unemployment benefit. It's like, yeah, WINS needs a thorough overhaul. I don't know if Labour's going to do that overhaul, and I don't necessarily trust them to do it because I understand the kind of pressures that weigh on governments. But, like, I'm not opposed to a national government. I am opposed to elections being won by misinformation and being won by spin. Yeah, it's like it doesn't really matter whose name is on the label. It matters the actual work that they do as a government rather than what brand of government you're getting, if you will. I think that's almost a luxury to be able to feel that way in New Zealand and that both of our major political parties are quite nice. (laughs) Whereas like now living in Australia, it's like, ah yes, there are two large political parties and they're both trash fires. 
Well, I guess it depends on where you sit in the spectrum, because I know there's, um, I mean, there's bound to be a lot of people out there who feel that both Labour and National, even Greens, Labour National, like the whole centre block can't do anything for them. It speaks to where we sit on the spectrum and our lives. Most New Zealanders can be like, Labour and National are both, you know, pretty viable options. Yeah, I think, I mean, the luxury very much is that we can say that neither our political parties are super racist, they're both just slightly racist. Just a bit (sighs) racist. Notes of racism. Yeah, that uh, Chinese-sounding last names from Labour has not been forgotten. No. (laughs) No, it has not. Whereas in Australia, it's like, but if people are refugees... Don't they deserve to be locked in prison camps on islands? And it's like, ooh, no. Actually, that's the other big thing that's happened. So um, Australia finally got marriage equality. So two people of any gender can get married. Two consenting adults of any gender can get married in Australia. Uh, And that's pretty exciting. That's a huge step forward that had a lot of intense discussion surrounding it and maybe about three years of people in Parliament calling me a pedophile, but Hmm. we did finally get there, oh god. Yeah, as you're um, naming these things off, I'm just like wearily realising how long this year felt. Did it feel like a... It's hard to describe. The year felt long, and yet when I look back on it and I try and find highlights and I try and find, like, what were some things that I did this year? I find next to nothing, but it felt... Like, so much has happened. It's a very strange feeling to describe. I think it's been an emotionally draining year. Yeah, it felt like a lot has happened, but it felt like I was an observer to these things happening rather than an actor with a role to play. You didn't do stuff necessarily, you just experienced a lot of it. You're like, okay. Yeah, which is a a strange contrast. (laughs) I mean, like, I think it's that sort of shift that we're going to take from being very engaged people to contributing to stepwise change. And this is something that, like, I haven't joined any rallies in Melbourne. And part of that is my health, and part of that is I haven't decided that I don't want to be a journalist at some point. Mm. And I think it's probably quite a good habit to stay in the business of not, like... You're practicing good OPSEC. Yeah, yeah. Like, political activists are really necessary. I am just not one. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of friends who are, like, very strong political activists. It's just kind of like, okay, this is not my jam. (laughs) But go you. And, I mean, I think that would... It's a question of finding where your breaking point is, right? Like, if we had as explicit issues with the police force in Australia as they have, like, for example, in America, like absolutely i would be there in australia however it's just like weird another indigenous kid died in custody oh that's so bizarre like oh how did that happen yeah it's it's a difficult thing to explain because like i recognize sort of that i'm white i'm very middle class like i have just oodles of privilege and so i have the luxury of saying i don't want to engage in that Mm. you know but i think i mean especially in the year of 2017 especially in this time when so much I don't want to say more horrific things have happened. Maybe we're just more aware of it, especially acutely aware of it this year. But I think it's something that's worth dwelling on is uh, the fact that we all have roles in the story. We all have different roles to play. And if we're all playing the same role, that's going to hinder progress, not help it. So political activism 
can manifest itself in many different ways. And if it only manifests itself in marching on the streets, or if it only manifested itself in writing articles or calling your local local MPs, if it only manifests itself in a single specific way, then that helps nobody. So especially since fighting for justice, for progress, is extremely tiring and not a great time and not very healthy, it's important for us to all realize that we're all playing different roles here. And we can all make a difference in our own way. But it's kind of it's kind of tricky, though, because I, I feel like I haven't been uh, a part of many rallies or marches either. And I definitely feel that tension between am I doing everything that I could be doing to make the world a better place? Or am I being too lazy? Am I being too self-centered? And I think it is it is a balance of realizing that you can only do so much, but at the same time, making sure that in your moments of strength, in your moments where you do have energy to spare, making sure that you're pushing yourself to to expend some of that energy rather than... Yeah. I think as well, like, deciding where you best spend that energy. Yeah. So, like, consider the fact that, like, I've spent three and a half years doing a PhD looking at development of potential treatments for mitochondrial disorders and better ways to develop those treatments. That is not something that necessarily comes up high on the list of things that people would have rallies about, but it is still very much... It's important. Important. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a good thing I'm doing. And I think, like, particularly for scientists, it can be really difficult because you expend so much of your energy and life into your work and often, like, really important work hmm. to then go, well, do I feel bad about not being a political activist? Like, that can be really tough. Hmm. Yeah, and perspective is a hard thing to get especially these days when we're just bombarded with so much information about every single bad thing that's happening in the world ever, all at once. Mm. So. Oh, absolutely. Like, very much overwhelmed. Yeah, that's like 2017 mood right there. Even at the beginning of this year, uh, women's marches were still happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, f- Do you know what gets me? Is that it hasn't even been a year since fucking... I don't even want to say his name. Since Trump was uh, inaugurated as president, it hasn't even been a year. Mm. And I don't live in America. I don't experience the changes that are happening in America. And it's not like I talk to my American friends 24-7. And I feel exhausted, so I, I can't imagine what it must be like to live so deeply inside that. It's surreal and it's overwhelming, yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, it is very stressful to live in a country that might just start a nuclear war Mm. and absolutely like there's no way that we can identify with that. New Zealand has never been a big player on the world stage for things like that. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah, I'm kind of (laughs) glad. I have a lot of sympathy for my friends in the US that they only have three more years of this. Hopefully less, but let's not get started with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what what else has happened? I feel like so much... Was Brexit this year? I feel like Brexit might have been 2017. No. I not the Wikipedia page for Brexit. I think Brexit was 2016. 16. Yeah. It's just no one's shut up about it since then. <laughs> it's because uh, they haven't actually done it yet, have they? Yeah, negotiations with the EU officially started in June 2017. Mm. So that's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, I think prices for um, just everyday groceries have already gone up 
quite significantly. I mean, I went to the UK for a little bit this year, and everyday things like groceries are very cheap there. <laughs> so, but it's just I don't know, man. It's a strange phenomenon when people vote against their own interests. Well, and I mean, again, right, like, it's it's an election that was decided on misinformation spin, right? Yeah. As soon as those votes were counted, the Leave guys were like, oh, just kidding, no, we never said that, we never said those things. But you said that all the money would go towards NHS, no, no, we never said that. So the other thing I kind of want to talk about that happened sort of right at the end of 2017 was a situation with words that the CDC has been recommended to not use. Oh, okay, yep, that's right. Essentially the CDC was recommended against using, I think, a set of seven words to not use those in, like, budget applications, right? Which there's not really been any historical reason for that. Like, nothing like that's really been done before, apparently. I'm trying to find the actual list of words. Evidence-based, fetus, transgender. So, science-based, evidence-based, fetus, transgender, vulnerable, entitlement, diversity. Okay, so there's like obvious reasons why the Trump administration wouldn't want the CDC to be able to apply for the use of the word transgender in budget situations. Because they just kind of hate trans people. That's awful but it's like okay i get why like you want to push against that and like i'm offended on the basis of someone like a member of the lgbtq community but it's also very frustrating to just go wait but that that's a word like it means a thing (laughs) when you look at fetus you can't just be like like a fetus means a particular thing i guess we call them embryos now or like you know you go straight from zygote to embryo and there's no other word for that Mm. but it's very bizarre to sort of like essentially have double talk imposed so the idea apparently from what i've read behind the rejection of the word fetus and that's what i'm going to focus on for a little bit here Mm -hmm. is that instead of fetus people would use the word pre-baby and it's like but there's also the word embryo like that's also a word you don't have to focus on the fact that this will eventually be a human life and the idea of like having to use terms like pre-baby or eventual human life or future child is that it makes it like much more difficult to get abortion research or even research on miscarriage pass through things it's like there's this block in my brain where i try and go but they've just decided that this one dictionary word is a bad dictionary word Mm. i mean i guess that's like how swear words work in like day-to-day parlance but like This is something else, though. And it's also, like, looking at it through the lens of the fact that science already has a particular set of words with very, often very rigidly defined meanings to them that, like, we work within already. Like, we already have this, like, limited set of words, like, very strong jargon when talking about science issues. I'm not great at using it, uh, (laughs) as I found out while my PhD thesis has been looked at. Uh, And that, like, you want to be really exact with your language. You want to be really clear with exactly what you're saying. And so not having access or being, like, disencouraged to have access to a particular set of words is kind of like, well, that's bad for science. And I recognise that, like, the Trump administration probably doesn't give a shit about what's good for science or not. But it's still very frustrating as a scientist. 
Yeah, and I mean, especially in the case of the CDC, bad science means death. It's dealing with public health here. It's dealing with people's lives. And I don't know, I'm, I'm reading like a short article about it now. And there's, um, there's a bunch of people from the CDC, including the director, who um, claims that there are no banned words at the CDC, which is all very confusing. But there was definitely some kind of um, move against using these words. Um... It is with great hesitation that I refer to this as encouraging double talk or anything like that, right? And that's because I recognise that in science we're basically told to use these particular words and not use these other words. Like... Mm. And part of that is a formality of language. Part of that is code switching between, like, what you just say and what you say in a meeting. And, like, that's not very rigidly defined, um, particularly in New Zealand and Australia, but in other countries, the cultural differences are, like, you would just, like, tighten up your language, like, whoa, when you're in a meeting. And so, like, I'm aware that there is already this sort of unspoken idea that as scientists we use particular sets of words to mean particular things. And so actually just saying, hey, don't use these words, isn't necessarily unwarranted. But looking at the words that have been pointed out, there seems to be a very clear political agenda behind it. There is. And that's the worrying thing, is that it's, it's one of those uh, more subtle ways of manipulating a populace. I mean, I don't perceive the Trump administration as villains and cloaked hoods and low lighting, you know, tinting their fingers and thinking about how to manipulate a populace. I don't think that that clever, but it's essentially what's happening here. And how we use language affects how we think. We know that. And if these words are just... So from what I see here, it looks like the term evidence-based appeared 104 and 119 times in Obama's um, financial year 16 and 17 CDC budgets, and only 33 times in Donald Trump's uh, financial year 18 budget. It doesn't seem like it's banned, it just looks like it's been heavily um, stifled. And that makes a difference too. Like, even if you're just limiting the frequency uh, of words that are used, that changes public perception on the importance of different topics and different ideas... I don't have anything smart to say about this. It's just incredibly worrying. (laughs) And I can't believe that that was like a month ago. Less than a month ago. Less than a month ago. My goodness. Sometimes I wonder if I I like wake up in 2017 with just like a fever dream. God, I hope it wasn't. I've suffered so much. I need to get through this. (laughs) (laughs) Like so much has happened, but it's all been so ridiculous that it feels surreal it doesn't feel like it's actually happening and i don't know if that's some kind of weird like self-defense mechanism that's kicking in in my brain Mm. but that's what this year it's felt like it also it also makes the new black mirror season very like you know good timing (laughs) now everyone is just going oh wow it's it's like our lives you know I don't know how I feel about things like um, Black Mirror and Mr. Robot. Because on one hand, it's like, they're brilliantly produced and beautifully shot and oh, very, like... yeah, like cinematography. Oh, just amazing. So good. The writing? Ideas-wise, it, it sits very strange. Like, 
Black Mirror, Mr. Robot, those kinds of shows, those kind of like modern dystopian shows. It's something that I would have loved maybe like five to ten years ago. I would have just been on that like white on rice or whatever the metaphor is. Like I would have been on that so hard. Like the Pope in the Vatican. Like the Pope in the Vatican. <laughs> because it was it's that kind of like intellectual wanky shit that I just dig. But now as our life, like real life, feels more dystopian. The shows, I don't know if you find this too, but the TV shows that I find myself gravitating to are more um, either stuff that I've already seen or things that are more light and inane. Like The Good Place, which... Yeah, I watch stuff that's more like black comedy light. Mm. So the two series I've watched really recently are Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Big Mouth, mm-hmm. which have both been very, very enjoyable. Mm. And they're both, like, quite light, but, like, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend quite seriously deals with a lot of mental illness stuff. Mm. Big Mouth is a comedy about teens going through puberty, which, again, is just like, oh, yeah, my body is super broken. <laughs> Real bad at just, like, everything to do with ovaries. Um, so that's a fun reminder. But, yeah, definitely. More that sort of being humorous about it. Yeah. Rather than being like, what if things were even worse than they already are. Cool, thanks Black Mirror. I really appreciate it. Like, pseudo-intellectual is how that stuff feels. And I don't want to, like, put down Black Mirror, and I don't want to put down, like, anyone who watches it and enjoys it. (laughs) Sorry, no, I don't want to put down Black Mirror because it's pseudo-intellectual wankery. Like, I think it's quite fun, pseudo-intellectual wankery. I want to put it down because there's no fucking gay people in it except for the San Junipero. Mm. Like, I just, I don't have time for that shit. Well, you, you can imagine, like, the writing stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, I don't know, there's something that I'm trying to pinpoint, and I've been trying to pinpoint this for a while, is like, why does a show like Mr. Robot, that like, everyone I know loves Mr. Robot, literally everyone I know, and they always come to me and they're like, Serena, have you seen this? You would love this. <laughs> and every time I try and watch it, I get maybe 10 to 15 minutes in, and I can't, I have to stop watching. I just can't take it seriously. And I've been trying to... Is it because hmm? it's Nerd Fight Club? It is Nerd Fight Club. I mean, that definitely contributes to the cringe factor. <laughs> but there's something else about it. And I was thinking about this the other day. And I think a big part of it is this... You know, the the system is flawed. The system is bad burn it all down, let's start again. That kind of Mm. mentality and approach, which I Mm. 100% sympathize with. But I sympathize with that kind of approach less and less as uh, I grow up and I learn about more of the world. And that's because usually, practically, in the real world, when you attempt to burn it all down, start over again, A, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. And that damage is going to go straight towards the most vulnerable people who you were trying to save in the first place. So, womp womp, sad trombone. And B, the the whole idea of, you know, burn everything down, start anew, assumes that we don't carry over our ideas, traditions, personal biases over with us into this quote-unquote new world. So what's inevitably, inevitably going to end up happening is that we recreate the exact thing we were trying to destroy. Ella, French Revolution, every single other revolution in history. So as time passes, I believe less and less in that 
burn it all down strategy, which is, I think, a big part of why Mr. Robot specifically sits kind of strangely with me. But in saying that, like, again, I completely sympathize with the burn it all down strategy because everything is very, very fucked and it doesn't feel good to say this is so fucked but I'm going to just deal with it and improve a tiny, tiny part of it. That doesn't feel great. So I get it. But also, not quite the best solution. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's a really tough decision, right? But it's a very adult decision as well. Before the election this year, I remember talking to a friend and he was like, well, I don't agree with, like, any of the political parties. Like, I don't agree with all of these policies. I'm like, okay, mm. which one do you agree with the most? And he's like, oh, oh, should I just vote for someone that I don't hate all their policies? And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, like, you make these concessions. You say, like, I don't agree with your stance on immigration, mm. but, like, I think you're really important to have, like, in parliament, in government. And so you vote for them. And he had just never thought about it in that way before. Mm. And I can see why. Like, total sympathy for that. Oh, no, absolutely. But it was just, like, this very clear point where it was like, oh, this is, like, <laughs> I have to make a grown-up decision about this where, you know, not everything is perfect. And it's like, yep, adulthood is compromise. Yeah, it sucks. It doesn't feel good. But we do it. Learning how to do... Basically, every decision becomes, like deciding whether or not to have a tactical vomit after a big night out, right? Like, <laughs> you're like, I do this thing and it feels very bad right now, but I feel less bad in the future. Yeah. Or you're like, I don't do this thing that feels very bad right now, but I may feel very bad in the future. It's every decision in adulthood. That is a beautiful metaphor. I love it. <laughs> um. Oh, the other thing that happened this year was that Puerto Rico got broken. Fuck. And it's still broken. And... The rest of the states are feeling the effects of it in healthcare. Yeah, because Puerto Rico makes all the IV bags and all the IV tubes. And I mean, like, absolutely Puerto Rico deserves more support because it is a country full of people. Mm. But also it's very important because they need it for healthcare. So, like, a bunch of nurses are having to do, like, standing, like, half-hour injections of stuff. Which is just wild to me. Like, it's ridiculous that in... I mean, like, the entire US healthcare system is broken. But, like, even that additional thing is just like, oh, really? You sure? Like... Yeah. I don't know how that happened. It's another one of those things that you read and you're like... I try and imagine the situation, you know, in a busy hospital. Nurses are already, like, run off their feet. And they just... They have to stand next to a patient slowly like injecting this life-saving drug and it's bizarre it's such a and probably having to make like really shitty conversation with the patient (laughs) no one respects nurses enough like agreed all of our listeners if you ever have to go to hospital be super nice to your nurses they make the damn place wrong they are amazing literal heroes literal heroes Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had, like, a lot of judgy nurses in my time, but I still love them. They put up with so much shit. So, what else happened? Maybe I'll open up my calendar. I mean, trolley problem memes happened. Like, that was quite fun. (laughs) I appreciated the rise of trolley problem memes. There was a solar eclipse. There was a solar eclipse. Cassini went into Saturn. That was... That was pretty fun. Incredibly sad. got some pictures of Saturn. I got weirdly emotional... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's a probe in space that, like, humans made and sent out, and it was at Saturn. I'm getting emotional again. 
<laughs> I just care like an incredible amount about space. It's... I reread a bunch of science fiction recently, and I've just been having a lot of feelings about space. I read some more, um, what's his face? Uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Guy who did 2001. Oh. Yeah, that dude. Yeah. I read, like, the final book in the 2001 A Space Odyssey series. It's called, like, 3001, mm. The Final Odyssey. Ooh. And this other book that he wrote. Uh, and those were very fun. And, yeah, no, just very enjoyable books. I read a lot of very good books this year. That's really good. Octavia Butler was probably my favourite, so I read um, The Parable of the Sower, which I've since lent to a girl I met on Bumble, and I don't have it back, and I might not get it back. Oh. Oh no, no. It's okay. I'm going to try to get it back. Also because I'd like to see her again, hmm. but you know. But yeah, like this year's been a very good book reading year for me. What about you? Have you read many books this year? I have not at all. And in fact, I don't really have like 2018 resolutions, but it is one of the things that I would like to start doing is like set myself a challenge to read at least one book a month. I've just started a book that is, I'm quite enjoying. It's called Algorithms to Live By. I can't remember the author's names, but basically they're, um, it's super nerdy. They're computer scientists and they take computer science algorithms and apply it to a lot of decision-making situations in real life. I don't know. It just feels nice to look at numbers. It's calming. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) oh yes, order in the world. (laughs) So I've just started that and it's been quite good. I would probably not recommend Parable of the Sower to you Mm because it's very much like near-future dystopian stuff, Mm -hmm. and particularly when they talk about, like, how the world fell apart, it's a little bit hashtag three real. Mm. And, like, this is my thing with, like, dystopian futures, which is why I like people like Arthur C. Clarke being like, yeah, we went into space and it was really cool. Like, (laughs) yeah, let's just chill in space now. And it's sort of why I reread some Isaac Asimov recently, because, like, murder mysteries in space. But broadly, everyone's happy. Mm. And, like, that's quite nice, and I think, like, a lot of it is just the feeling that we have a future, which is a, such a dark thing to say, but honestly, it kind of feels like, and like we sort of said this earlier, like even though we're not living in America, like a nuclear war would fuck everything up. Yeah. And there is a very real chance that it will happen. And so to sort of just to sit in that and be aware that at any point our future could be cut short, it makes it hard to be positive long term when you're thinking about like the kind of changes that global warming is having to places like Micronesia, places like Tonga and Tuvalu. Hmm. That's huge. And I think we're intensely aware of that, at least partly because like we see global warming on our back door, yeah. right? Like we're part of Oceania. Like this is part of our world that we see global warming having very real impacts on people where they can't grow crops anymore because like salt water has just gone all through their islands that are essentially just the tops of coral atolls. Mm. And being intensely aware of that makes it hard to be positive about the future. It's hard too because when you're locked into the short term mindset, like when we're all locked into the short term mindset, we stop finding good solutions for things and we need long-term solutions for things like climate change we need a long-term mindset to fix these global problems going on in the world but if we're locked into the short term oh there could be nuclear war tomorrow like the short-term mindset then we stop thinking about those much needed solutions to long-term problems like global warming and that's going to set us back so much And I worry about that so much. And just, like, 
even thinking about how the change in environment will affect, like, just our daily habits, right? Mm. Like, coffee and chocolate are going to get kind of fucked by climate change. And that's, like, that's such a bougie thing to be stressed <laughs> out about. But, like, legitimately, like, coffee keeps me awake, like, every day. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and just not knowing what the future will look like, even if, like, we sort of get to the point where we're no longer trapped in that short-term mindset, we don't know when that is going to impact, like, coffee supplies. We don't know when that kind of change is going to happen when, like, the shift occurs in the kind of climate that is available in the places that grow coffee. Um, predominantly, I think, in uh, South South America. <laughs> yeah, the tricky thing is that it's, like, the climate is shifting now. It's changing already. And, like, the prices will steadily climb and whatnot, and crops will die steadily. The question is, when will the scale tip over from acceptable to unacceptable? When will the price rise so high that these farms can no longer bring enough money to support themselves? Like, when will concrete, real consequences happen for people, rather than just for the superficial price or something? When will my soy flat white actually cost more money? Then then I can like, afford, That yeah. is a tipping point for me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, we do already see that yeah. in the cost of things like fruit and vegetables, but when that starts to get passed on, the cost of processed foods and like I think often while coffee just kind of gets exported as a bean like the roasting process and like the incredible profit margins every like cafe has on their cups of coffee mm. means it could be a while before we start to see that shift occur I'm intensely aware that that is in the future and I don't know if like a lot of people are as aware of this I don't know if like people think every day just like oh yes at some point coffee is going to run out like <laughs> In the same way that I presume, like, people maybe 10 years ago would just every day think, yeah, oil's going to run out one day. And I mean, we still very much have that hanging over our heads, but for us, dramatically, the bigger danger to our lives, to our lifestyles, is climate change. Absolutely. Rather than peak oil. Yeah. And that's also a kind of bizarre thing to think about. People, there's still people around who think oil's going to last forever as well, which is interesting, let's say that. (laughs) Let's use that word. It's alright. <laughs> we got we got fancy boys. Fancy boys. No women, because Silicon Valley hates women. But we've got fancy boys figuring it out. That was the big thing that happened this year, mm-hmm. and time made them its person of the year. Is uh women speaking out properly about sexual assault? And I think we've probably talked about it enough on this podcast. But uh, if we're doing a year in review episode, I did at least want to pay that lip service. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those milestones of progress that you wait for and wait for and wait for for years and years and years and years and when it finally comes it's I don't want to say bittersweet it's it's hard because it took so many so many women publicly torturing themselves essentially for this ostracization to happen and I don't I don't know I don't want to diminish how important it was by saying it should have happened sooner, it should have happened earlier, we shouldn't be in this position in the first place. But a big part of me can't help but think that. So when it did happen, it was it was like, yes, finally, but also how horrific was all of that, and still is. While a lot of progress has been made this year, I think a lot of people have been very traumatised by that progress. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, specifically about, like, the ongoing discussion surrounding sexual assault. Like, cool, thanks for bringing it up all the time, everyone. Have you heard of triggers? Yeah. 
I hear post-traumatic stress disorder is a thing. Yeah. And also, like, looking at the marriage equality in Australia, that has been difficult for my community. Mm. It's hard, but I'm glad it happened. Mm. I'm just looking through my calendar, like, what happened this year? What did I do? (laughs) I woke up, went to work, came home. You joined a gym? (gasps) That's right. I'm getting shredded. Do you still go to the gym? Yes. I... <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I haven't been going since I'm home for the holidays, but when I have been in Wellington, I've been going consistently, usually three times a week, but if it's like ridiculously busy, then maybe once a week. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, here's my like 2018 outlook is just women getting shredded, fucking built. Yes, <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm going to get me a six pack. I'm going to lift some shit. You're going to get guns. I'm going to... Gonna get guns. Gonna come back from the arms dealer. Flex's bicep. <laughs> they sell to both sides. Flex's other bicep. Yeah, I'm getting pretty jacked. It's fun. Awesome. I'm so here for that. Yeah, I guess that's like a personal thing that's happened this year. Was I started doing judo and I started actually exercising and moving my body in a way that's not just getting like walking from A to B. <laughs> So that's been really good. And I'm really surprised that I'm still going. And I'm really surprised that I've stuck with it for this long. That's really good. It's a, it's a happy thing. I love going to the gym. Mm. I find it's really good for stress. Mm. So I go for like anxiety runs. I, I bumped into my trainer today and he was like, how are you so happy? You're always smiling when you're on the cross trainer. I'm like, oh no, it's because when I get off the cross trainer, I have to think about my thesis again. <laughs> like yeah. I've blocked out this time where I just like don't have to stress out. Mm. And it's nice, because I just, like, I sweat it out. It's good. Mm. Every time before going to judo, I get super anxious. And I don't know why. I get really nervous. I don't want to go. But then I force myself to go. And every single time, I come back and I feel on top of the world. And then it repeats the next week. It's like, I know I felt really good last time, but I really don't want to go. I really don't feel like shit. don't want to do this. And then, you know, you go and you do the thing. And then you come back from doing the thing. You're like, I just did the thing. I feel great. I'm just so surprised. I'm so surprised with myself. I can't believe I'm still doing this. I'm not a not an exercisey person. It's really exciting though. Like next step, you just start going to Zumba classes, right? <laughs> I think next step is um, taking up a a different martial art. <sighs> exciting. And just like keep taking up different martial arts until I become like ridiculous MMA person. I don't actually want to do MMA. That's scary. You know, that sounds good. Um, And then when people are, like, if you go somewhere important, they're like, can you put your weapons here? You can be like, my body is a weapon. <laughs> that will be my 2019 goal. Make myself into a weapon. Hey, you know what's another great thing that's happened this year? We're still what? doing this podcast. Cute. We are. And that's so cool. I don't know if this indicates a return to our normal schedule, which I probably should have led with at the top of this episode. <laughs> But yeah, I sort of had energy for recording and probably time for editing over the next few days. But yeah, another whole year of podcasting is pretty cool and fun. I mean, I still like talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I haven't opened the Trello board in like four months. No, I haven't I'm sure either. We still have like, <laughs> I'm sure we still have topic ideas there. Yeah. No, I don't want to be too self-congratulatory, but like I'm really impressed with us. This is, this is really cool. I think it's just because like... I enjoy it so much. It's just a thing that uh, that you look forward to. Yeah, and I think like it's it's very much something we do for ourselves, mm. and that actually makes it a lot better than if we were trying to be like pew pew podcast yeah. wizards. You should buy a mattress, everyone. Buy a mattress. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by um, 
of mattress. mattresses. <laughs> mattresses are very good. They support your back sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> God, I've been looking at costs of things. Mm-hmm. Mostly because my housemate who just moved out took the washing machine with him. And um. I was like, how much could a new washing machine be, really? What if we all just chipped in for a totally new one? Ooh. And the answer is, it can be really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> like, the cheapest ones are like $400, but if we get it secondhand, we can get one for like 200 Yeah. But that sort of led me down a rabbit hole of looking at the actual prices of things. And it's just kind of like, oh, a living is expensive. Yeah. Ugh. It's kind of ridiculous. I, I have a rule that, like, most things I don't buy new. Just because it's just not worth it when you can get it secondhand for like half quarter the price. Yeah, so I'm um my big thing for 2018 is uh when I get my first paycheck, I'm buying myself a new laptop. Nice, that's a good that's investment. Be good. Yeah, yeah, because boy, do I get a lot of lag on the video games I play. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna get a gaming rig. <laughs> yes, I mean 2017 has been kind of like a with. You know, a few nice things in between. Let's talk about 2018. Like, do you have hopes? Do you have aspirations? Do you have goals? Tell me about all that good shit. My big goal is I'm going to try and buy an apartment in sort of September or October of 2018. Oh, wow. Buy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So I have... I have around 21,000 in my KiwiSaver, Mm. which I still need to check if I can actually access that in Australia. Uh, we'll figure it out. I've got a, probably another 6000 in savings that I may or may not burn through before I start my job, but that essentially means I need around $20,000 in savings to put a down payment on a $400,000 apartment. Nice. And there are some quite nice two-bedroom ones between sort of 400000 and $450,000 around the area in which I live. Mm. Uh, so that's sort of the big goal is I want to save money, I want to put a down payment on an apartment. Nice. Because I've been feeling increasingly like rent is just kind of like throwing money down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And if I'm paying rent, I might as well be paying a mortgage. Yeah. And I really like Melbourne. And if I need to move and sell this house, like sell an apartment. It'll go up. Not a house. I like, I in <laughs> no way am old enough or adult enough to deal with a garden in any way, shape <laughs> or form. So like, it's not a house. It's an apartment. I'm going to have pot plants on the balcony. Yes. Like, I'm just not grown up enough to deal with an actual garden. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and I think, like, that'll be a really important and good step. A few of my friends have bought houses, but most of them are in couples, and I think that makes it a lot easier. Because mm. <laughs> uh, you have twice the money to play with. But I, I'm i on the path. Mm. So I sort of have just under half in my KiwiSaver. That's awesome. And all I have to do, really, is get the other half together. And probably, if I find a place I want, and I don't quite have all that money together, I can, like, call my parents and be like, hey... <laughs> Give me a loan. I'm going to pay this back. Nice. For once. Because <laughs> um, they've, been, they've been incredibly financially supportive, so I'd much prefer to do it by myself. Mm. But, like, yeah, that's that's my big 2018 goal. Also buying a laptop. Nice. For better video games. <laughs> These are my two goals. <laughs> that's amazing. What about you? I don't know. I just had, like, vague thoughts, like, keep getting jacked. Mm-hmm. Like con- yeah, no, that's that's a good plan. Continue on the way of becoming swole. Continue to lift. <laughs> Continue to lift. Funny enough, I don't actually lift. I should start lifting. Ah, uh, lifting's good. Yeah, yeah. I should. It's very good for your core. My parents definitely want me to buy a house, so I will start thinking about that, and it may become a goal later on. It's uh, just very disillusioned with the Wellington market because there's like nothing going, you know, and also the whole. 
how do mortgages work? How do houses work? How how does money work? You know, the whole thing. So, you know, I'm going to start thinking about maybe thinking about uh, having a house as a goal. <laughs> yeah. Look at um look at what mortgage repayments look like on private browsing so that like it doesn't actually change anything for you and compare that to your current rent. Or, like, what you're willing to pay in rent. Because mm. that was the thing where I was like, oh, this is actually, like, super doable. It was like, I sort of had an upper limit of where I wanted to go with rent for a really nice place. Mm. And it was like, oh, that's just kind of the same as what I would be paying in a mortgage in a two-bedroom place that's 400000 Like, okay, yeah. that's pretty doable. That's a good way to look at it. Because I've always thought of it as, like, okay, so it's this much money, and that's a lot of money. And I'm going to have to pay, like, half of that's going to be interest. So it's like half of that on top of that, and that's so much money. So your way of thinking of it is much more helpful. And talk to, like, grown-ups in your life. So, like, I know we have mutual friends who are sort of more adulty mm. than us, but if someone's, like, bought a house, they often have very, very good advice. So, like, when I was back home for two weeks in November, I was talking to actually, like, my old music teacher, and mm-hmm. she was, like, laying down the law about, like, 30-year mortgages and fixed-term interests and stuff like that. And I was like, nice. And stuff like making sure that you have get one that doesn't have a penalty for paying it off early uh. things that like i sort of had floating around in my head but hadn't really put together into like oh these are actual rules i need to set when i come to actually looking at that mm. so i think like you'll never be the first person you know to do this that's helpful okay 2018 i start thinking about what it would take <laughs> <laughs> i consider homeownership <laughs> i will continue <laughs> Yeah, my parents are definitely like, you should do this. It's good for your your financial health. It's it's the same idea as like, you know, you're paying rent, you might as well be paying a mortgage. So the weird like personal thing that I think I've learnt over two thousand and seventeen is to be nicer to myself. That sounds fluffy and vague, but it's the best way that I can come up with it. Because we we had that whole episode about self care and how it manifests in all these different ways and how. We have to balance different aspects of self-care all the time. And I think going into 2018, it'd be focusing on that balance a lot more acutely rather than um, just having it in the background and being like, oh, maybe I'll do this today. Maybe I'll do that today. Yeah. I think my other big thing, and again, like I'm absolutely just kind of showing off, I will be submitting my thesis in the next two weeks. And by the end of 2018, I should actually pass my PhD. Standing ovation. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be submitting my PhD thesis, uh, and I just have to do it online. I just have to upload um, a PDF, and then generally it's around two months mm-hmm. before I get reviewer comments back, and I will get either pass or pass with minor revisions because nothing that my primary supervisor has ever approved has required more than that. And then I will sort of do those minor revisions. So minor revisions are generally things like you didn't use this reference, use this reference, and you forgot to put in an actual number here when you wrote X. Hmm. Whereas major revisions would be like, do these experiments. And then I have to graduate at some point, and my parents have said that I cannot graduate between June and August because they are going on a two-month trip through Europe. Oh, fun. (sighs) (laughs) The last time, so I had to um, ask my parents for money sort of surrounding all my healthcare stuff. And I was like, are you okay with this? Like, I don't want to sort of ask you for more than you can give. And dad was like, oh, no, it's just your inheritance. And I was like, no, I think you're spending my inheritance on two-month cruises through Europe, Dad. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad my parents are having fun. Mum's turning 60 this year. 
which she'll be really happy I said in a podcast and I think they're sort of starting to really enjoy not working as much just doing stuff Mm. because they don't have kids around anymore (laughs) so at some point probably between August and the end of the year I will graduate and be a doctor that's so exciting. I wear a puffy hat that looks like a pillow. Awesome. That's that's incredible. That's amazing. It's been a struggle, Serena. I've been very unhappy for a very long time. Which is a big part of why it's so incredible. I know so, so many friends who have started PhDs and so many of them have dropped out. For I'm glad they have because it takes such a toll. So for you to be like on the home run, that finished stretch, completing... A PhD, that's amazing, and you should feel very proud. That's amazing. I'm also very proud of the fact that I went into my PhD knowing I have a lot of mental illness. And, like, while that has made some things more difficult, I haven't ground myself down to the point where I've had to take mental health leave. Mm. So I know quite a few people who've had to take, like, six months or longer off their PhD just because their mental health ended up so far in the toilet. And, like, the only time where I've come close to needing that is over the last two months. And it's just like, well, I'm not going to do that now. (laughs) I'm going to finish my PhD. And, like, I'm quite proud of the fact that I managed to manage my mental illness to that extent. And I managed to sort of keep it in check and actually look after myself that well. Because, yeah. like, that was... When it comes to self-care, right? Like, I've always been a little bit garbage at looking after myself. But I've managed to do an entire PhD without having a proper breakdown. Nice. 2018 goals. Look after oneself and... Get jacked. Get jacked. <laughs> One of my favourite things that I did in 2017 was... So I got both my supervisors gifts mm-hmm. for submitting my PhD. I got David, like, a book of walking tracks because he really likes walking. Um, and for Anne, who's been the sort of my more hands-on supervisor, I wrote her a series of seven sonnets Mm -hmm. and got it printed and bound. Beautiful. And so I'm giving her a book of sonnets that, like, mirrors my thesis. Oh, so cute. So there's, like, a sonnet per chapter. (laughs) And it's, like, I think it's the greatest thing I've ever created. (laughs) Well, it's legitimately published, so, you know. Yeah, no, in a, um... In a limited edition of two numbered copies, because mm. I wanted a copy for myself. <laughs> yes. So here's one of the things that I want to do for 2018, is mostly I just want to do something wildly different. Because I'm looking back on 2017, and I've gone to work, I've started going to the gym, but again, it's like, it's a it's one of those everyday, do this kind of thing. It's a, it's a habit rather than like a big, massive project. So I want to do something big and new and I don't quite know what I don't know maybe like start a mini business maybe my mum is thinking of like doing a cooking show on the internet which is just the cutest thing you can go to like the um not the craft section but like the upskill kind of section of bookstores and just look at the titles of all the books and get one that you know grabs you oh uh, no I I don't I don't like those books <laughs> I really don't like those. No, I, I have, like, a few ideas bubbling in my head. The problem isn't the lack of ideas. The problem is too many mm. ideas and not knowing which one to commit to. Oh, that sounds like the problem you always have. Yeah. It's annoying at most. It's, it's not a real problem. I just need to grind my teeth and make a decision. Well, if you want to go to, like, swing dancing classes in Wellington, I weirdly know people that are big in the swing community. <laughs> oh, I will keep that in mind. I never thought I could do judo, um, and I'm doing that, so who knows? Just giving you more ideas to make your choices more difficult. Mm. <laughs> 
this has been an episode where we've talked about last year and our plans for next year and it's probably again one of those episodes that you just kind of just listen to us talk this is probably quite a normal skype call that me and serena would have had Mm -hmm. Uh, without recording it. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that you have had a rewarding, if occasionally difficult, 2017, and that your 2018 is looking interesting. Remember, like, my goals are huge, right? Like, I am talking about getting a PhD and buying a house. But whatever goals you set or you don't set for 2018, whether it's just getting through it or getting slightly better at something you're passionate about, or reading more about how we're not going to have coffee anymore after climate change happens. Because, you know, we all need some horror in our lives sometimes. That's okay. Just do whatever's best for you. Do your best to live a good life. And we'll still love you. As long as you're not a sexist, racist, or homophobe. <laughs> but that's been us. I've been Sophia Friend. And I am Serena Chen. And if you uh, if you have any thoughts, if you have any comments, please do send them to us. We're uh, on Twitter at Casting Interest. You can email us. We're um, castinginterest at gmail.com. You can find us on the Facebook. You can find us pretty much anywhere. We'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear how your 2017 was and what you've got planned for this coming year. It's exciting. It's scary. We'll be there with you. I'm going to try and read one book per month, so please send me hate mail if I don't do that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) I will send you hate mail if you don't do that. One book a month is a low bar. One book a month. I'm starting low. I'm being realistic because I don't think I've read many books last year. Anywho, if you want to leave us some stars, please do in the iTunes or whichever your preferred podcasting app is. Um, just as always, uh, everyone out there, stay interesting. Stay interesting. Woo.